It's unrelated things. Hey everybody, welcome to Unrelated Things, the podcast where I just talk about whatever stories I came across that interests me. Uh, anything that makes me laugh, anything that makes me angry, anything that I just want to ponder a little with you. You can reach out to me at unrelatedthings at gmail.com if you have a story idea or have any feedback for me. Or you can go to unrelatedthings.net. You can check out back episodes of this podcast and you can check out my other podcasts, Bernie 2020 and Polyrical, the political music podcast. So let's see what is going to get us started today. So, first up is a story from OddityCentral.com. This is written by Spooky. The small town of Belushia Guba in northern Russia is in a state of emergency. We know a little bit about state of emergencies here in the U.S., about our borders with those big scary invasions, those uh, people coming over here to mow our lawns. But... Here is the invasion of another type. Locals are afraid to leave their houses because of dozens of polar bears roaming the streets in search of food. Located on one of the two islands that make up the Novaya Zemlya archipelago in the Arctic Ocean, Belushia Guba is home to roughly 3,000 people, many of whom are terrified to leave their homes and send their kids to school because of the dozens of bears running around in the streets and even entering buildings in search of food. While polar bear sightings aren't exactly uncommon in the remote town, the scale of this invasion is reportedly unprecedented. Over 52 sightings have been reported in only three days with up to 10 bears seen in the settlement at any given time. Quote, I have been in Novaya Zemlya since 1983, not 1893, but there have never been so many polar bears in the vicinity, local administrator Zhigansha Musin told Russian news agency TASS on Saturday. He added that the hungry animals had also taken over a military garrison where they, quote, literally chase people. The people are scared. They are frightened to leave the homes and their daily routines are broken, Alexander Miniev, the deputy head of Novaya Zemlya, told TASS. Parents are afraid to let their children go to school or kindergarten. I do know there have been a couple of instances of bears in schools in the United States, but it is very uncommon. It's not a common practice. Usually when school is canceled, it's due to weather, either extreme cold or snow and ice. Rarely in the U.S. is school ever canceled due to bears. Polar bear activity in and around Belushia Guba started increasing in December, and the animals have reportedly become more aggressive ever since, attacking people and entering residences. Polar bears are considered an endangered species in Russia, and despite the threat, they currently pose to the people of Belushia Guba. The government has refused to issue licenses to shoot the most aggressive specimens. Instead, a team of experts and a special task force have been sent to the island to monitor the situation and protect the local population. However, killing some of the bears may be a last resort if scare tactics prove unsuccessful. Fences and loud noises such as gunshots and car horns have so far failed to keep the animals away. While the reason for this polar bear invasion is still unclear, many specialists are convinced that it is linked to global warming and dwindling sea ice. Polar bears spend most of their time on ice sheets hunting for seals, but the ice recedes during warmer months. They invade inland in search of sustenance. Quote, it's sort of like you go to a restaurant and the restaurant is closed. Andrew DeRocher, a professor at the University of Alberta who studies polar bears in the Arctic, told Motherboard. So where do you go? You keep wandering until you find one that's open. And that's just yeah. the way it is. 
And on to the next uh, story from Bustle.com. This is written by Megan Grant. Do you say you're welcome or no problem? A Reddit thread has people weighing in. I, I don't like this type of a quote-unquote news story when they're just regurgitating what some people post on Reddit or on Twitter, even worse. Um, but I do, I'm very interested in talking about this topic and weighing in with my thoughts. Stonehenge, the Bermuda Triangle, pineapple on pizza. The world is full of inexplicable mysteries and debates. Another one we should add to the list? Whether you should say you're welcome or no problem when someone thanks you. Ah, uh, yes, a question that has plagued humankind for centuries. My female friends and I will sometimes sit around the fireplace engaged in deep conversation about the correct response to thank you. When we're really confused, we'll pull out the Ouija board and consult our ancestors for guidance whilst reading ancient scripts by candlelight and digging through leather-bound books looking for the answer. Not really. And you know why? Because the answer is clearly you're welcome. But apparently there are people out there who have serious opinions about what you're supposed to say when someone thanks you. So now we can all be paranoid about offending each other in a whole new way. For starters, what's the difference between the two responses? Is there one? This one Redditor cleared it up rather succinctly. No problem means, quote, it wasn't a problem, so there was no need to thank me. Your welcome is more like, quote, I was glad to have helped you. Well, I'm for your welcome all the way. I was kind of under the impression that any verbal response was considered acceptable by most people, as long as it isn't something like, damn right you should thank me. But I was wrong. I concede. How do other people feel about this? Is your welcome ideal? Is no problem preferable? Would it be easier for me to say nothing at all and just walk away? Probably. Let's explore. Team, you're welcome. Shockingly, these people seem to be in the minority, which would displease my mother greatly. I say you're welcome after working in a hotel years ago when the owner insisted upon it, as no problem supposedly has negative connotations. To this day, I'm still conditioned to be positively positive. Team everyone else. If you don't say you're welcome, what the heck do you say? People come up with all types of responses, not just no problem. No worries seems to be a popular choice, which makes me uncomfortable. Why would anyone worry? Now I'm just confused. I say no worries a lot, though that's something that's pretty common to hear where I live. Hey, no problem, man. Definitely carries a special something. Not quite sure what that something is yet. I usually just say something like, hey, no problem, man. For whatever reason, I feel like it sounds less sincere for me to specifically say, you're welcome, or like it makes it sound like I was expecting a thank you. Then there are the people who believe you're welcome is a hard no. They think it sounds strange, rude, even condescending. I can't say you're welcome. It sounds so weird to me. I say, yeah, you bet. Like, you can count on me to do nice shit. I got you. Okay, I hope yeah, you bet is not one that it comes into vogue to replace either no problem or you're welcome. You're welcome sounds kind of condescending a bit to me, kind of like saying, damn right, I went out of my way for you. Something like no problem is simple with no hidden thing behind it. I do, you're welcome, just, I do. You're welcome just sounds arrogant and rude to me. If I say that, if I say it, that is, I don't have a problem with other people saying it. Then there's this person who pretty much like hell with all of you and instead keeps, keeps it simple. I just say, yep. Yep. Y-E-P. Yep. 
a lot of weird things happen on Reddit and I wasn't quite ready to stop my research here. So I went on the hunt for proof that your welcome is the best, most proper response and didn't find it. Robert Cialdini studied persuasion for 40 years and even authored a book titled Influence. And here's what he found according to the HuffPost. There is a moment of power that we are all afforded as soon as someone has said thank you, he explains. If you respond with you're welcome, you're missing the opportunity to respond to that moment of power. Instead, he suggests you say, I know you do the same for me, which sounds incredibly awkward, but offers three benefits. It communicates that you and the other person have the kind of relationship where you can ask each other for favors. It establishes that you're willing to help others, and it encourages reciprocity. This clearly only works with people who really know each other. When your waiter brings your grilled cheese <laughs> when your waiter brings your grilled cheese sandwich and you thank them, I think we can all agree that the proper response from their end is definitely not, I know you'd do the same for me. Thankfully, I have at least one person in my corner. Marianne Parker, author of Posh Overnight, The Ten Pillars of Social Etiquette. Clearly, this is the definitive source. And founder of Manner of Manners. Speaking to Country Living, she says, quote, Unfortunately, certain behaviors are often considered to be over the top instead of accepted as proper manners. Adding that... Your welcome is meant to be courteous, but can sometimes be taken as insincere. Parker confirms that it's not the words that are problematic, and what we should instead be mindful of is our delivery, things like our tone and body language. When said in a genuine manner, there's absolutely nothing wrong with your welcome. So there. To be clear, Parker says other responses are acceptable in a more casual environment, including no worries and, of course, whatever, Marianne. Which side are you on? And so I, I want to go through all that. I want to talk about this topic because I do have a very distinct point of view. That distinct point of view was not mentioned in this article at all. Um... No problem is probably what I hear most commonly, at least in most of the settings. And that may not be true. It may just be that that one really stands out to me because it slightly annoys me. And I come from a background in retail. And in retail, you're there to serve and service the customer, to service that customer's needs. And in retail, when they say thank you and the response that comes back to them is no problem. I do think that implies that this potentially could have been a problem, but it was not a problem for me to help you. And in that kind of setting, I think that the no problem absolutely grates on me and is not appropriate in casual situation or outside of that kind of that type of a setting. I don't really have a, a big problem with no problem. Um, but in... I, I've just been conditioned that the 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 proper and best response to thank you is my pleasure. Indicates that it was your pleasure to assist that person, and you you recognize they're thanking you, and letting them know that you know you're letting them know it was no problem. But you're not saying this wasn't a problem for me. You're saying it was my pleasure to help you. So I, I still do that now. I do that even in email responses to thank yous very often. I do uh, sometimes, depending on the audience, say no worries. Uh, but I very often in uh, the majority of the times when someone thanks me, unless it's a very, very casual friend, I say my pleasure. I think you just nailed it. Very well said. And up next is a story from Tech Dirt at TechDirt.com. This is written by Mike Masnick. 
Someone impersonated New Jersey's attorney general to demand Cloudflare take down 3D printed gun instructions. I, I remember hearing, reading a story of the New Jersey attorney general sending a message to some entity to uh, stop disseminating the 3D printed gun um, plans or, or whatever models um, and didn't think anything else of it until I came across this story. Buckle in, folks. Here's a crazy one involving 3D printed guns, angry lawsuits, and an apparently forged letter from the New Jersey Attorney General. Over the past few years, we've been highlighting a whole bunch of stories concerning the lengths that some people will go to in an effort to block certain content online. One version that we've seen quite a bit in the past few years is forging takedown demands including forged court orders. However, now we've seen it expand to a different arena, touching on another issue we've written about before. Last year, not for the first time, we wrote about the moral panic and hysteria around 3D printed guns that had resulted in a few states claiming the right to order 3D files offline. Not much had seemed to happen on that front until a week or so ago when various Second Amendment groups, including the somewhat infamous Defense Distributed, makers of 3D printer files for firearm components, filed a lawsuit seeking an injunction against New Jersey's Attorney General, Gerbier Grewal, arguing that he had sent an unconstitutional takedown letter to Cloudflare, which was the CDN service that Defense Distributed was using for its website, codeisfreespeech.com. In theory, this was setting up an important potential First Amendment case, but on Tuesday, something unexpected happened. The state of New Jersey showed up in court to say no one there actually sent the takedown and that they believed it was forged and sent via a proxy service in the Slovak Republic. Really? Quote, the Attorney General's Division of Criminal Justice has concluded that a key document supporting plaintiff's TRO application, a takedown notice purportedly sent by DCJ to Cloudflare Inc., which hosts one of the plaintiff's websites, codeisfreespeech.com, was not, in fact, issued by DCJ and appears to have been issued by some entity impersonating the Attorney General's office. The filing recognizes that New Jersey legislature did pass a law late last year restricting the distribution of such 3D printed instructions, but that the state's law enforcement arm has yet to do anything to enforce it and most certainly did not send the letter in question. Quote, as noted, we have no reason to believe the Attorney General's office filed this takedown notice with Cloudflare and our investigation thus far demonstrates the office did not do so. We have conferred with all relevant parties within the Attorney General's office, including DCJ and the New Jersey State Police, and there is no evidence that anyone within the office authorized its filing. In an effort to determine who, in fact, issued the notice, DCJ assigned two investigators to review the matter who obtained the IP address of the device used to submit the notice to Cloudflare and learned that the IP address is associated with the server located in the Slovak Republic. This IP address is not connected to DCJ, nor would DCJ use this type of proxy server for routine communications with third parties. Intrigue. Cloudflare has similarly posted a blog post giving its side of the story, noting that there were some oddities with the notice, but considering that it doesn't actually host the content in question. It followed its standard operating procedures of filing the notice along to the actual host. But then they started to notice some oddities. Quote, a few days after we forwarded the complaint, we saw news reports indicating that the website operator and a number of other entities had sued the state of New Jersey over the complaint we had forwarded. That lawsuit prompted us to take a closer look at the complaint. 
we immediately noticed a few anomalies with the complaint. First, when law enforcement agencies contact us, they typically reach out directly through a dedicated email line. Indeed, we specifically encourage law enforcement to contact us directly on our abuse page because it facilitates a personalized review and response. The New Jersey-related request did not come in through this channel, but was instead submitted through our general abuse form. This was one data point that raised our skepticism as to the legitimacy of this report. Second, the IP address linked to the complaint was geolocated to the Slovak Republic, which seemed like an unlikely location for the New Jersey Attorney General to be submitting an abuse report from. This particular data point was a strong indicator that this might be a fraudulent report. Third, while the contact information provided in the complaint appeared to be a legitimate publicly available email address operated by the state of New Jersey, it was one intended for public reporting of tips of criminal misconduct as advertised here. There's a link. It seemed unlikely that a state attorney general would use such an email to threaten criminal prosecution. On occasion, we see this technique used when an individual would like to have Cloudflare's response to an abuse report sent to some type of presumably interested party. The person filing this misattributed abuse report likely hopes that the party who controls that email address will then initiate some type of investigation or action based on that abuse report. Cloudflare, Cloudflare further notes, having learned that this notice was forged, it now has found, quote, other abuse reports submitted from this IP address and established, quote, a clear pattern of fake abuse reports such that abuse reports from that IP will no longer be allowed. There are, of course, some larger issues here, as we've noted for years and years and years, mainly with regard to the DMCA notice and takedown process. When you have a process that allows for notice and takedown, it will get abused widely and continuously. Expanding notice and takedown to other arenas only means it will get abused more and more, and the abuse will become increasingly sophisticated. And there's a little more uh, to this story if you want to check that out. Once again, that's on techdirt.com, and it has the complaint uh, that was sent over to them. Are you kidding me? Oh boy, howdy. And here's a piece from LiveScience.com. This is written by Brandon Spector. Black snow is falling from the skies in Siberia, and it is toxic. A pall of eerie black snow has covered several towns in the Siberian region of Kuzbas, which is home to 2.6 million people and one of the world's largest coal fields. According to The Guardian and the Siberian Times, the snow is tainted with toxic black coal dust that was released into the air from open coal pits and improperly maintained factories in the region. One coal plant official told the local media that a shield meant to prevent coal powder from escaping out of the factory had malfunctioned. However, toxic black snowfall seems to be a regular phenomena in the area and it isn't necessarily tied to a single source. Quote, It's harder to find white snow than black snow during the winter. I bet it's even harder during the summer. Vladimir Slivak, Sliviak, a member of the nonprofit environmental action group EcoDefense, told The Guardian, There is a lot of coal dust in the air all the time. When snow falls, it just becomes visible. You can't see it the rest of the year, but it's still there. Kuzbas, short for Kuznetsk Basin, is one of the largest coal fields in the world, spanning, spanning more than 10,000 square miles, or 26,000 square kilometers, according to Britannica.com. Britannica. Encyclopedia Britannica. Remember that? Remember Encyclopedia Britannica and World Book Encyclopedia and all those others? Remember Encyclopedia Salesman? Technology, it just it destroys jobs. A 2015 report from EcoDefense found that the citizens of Kuzbas 
have an average life expectancy three to four years shorter than the Russian national average and have nearly twice the risk of contracting tuberculosis and childhood mental disorders. Black snows like this one are a frequent winter feature in the region, the report found, and mitigation attempts have been lacking. For instance, in December 2018, regional authorities were accused of trying to hide the toxic black stuff. All right, I was going to, in my head, I already went there, and the story goes there. Trying to hide the toxic black stuff by literally painting over it with white pigment, the Moscow Times reported. All right, that's not the way to clean up the environment. It's not the, the proper method. First of all, the paint's probably toxic. So they're using what could very well be a toxic white paint to cover up the toxic black snow. Not the way to do it. Siberia, which would be the world's largest country by size if it were a sovereign nation, is no stranger to bizarre, bizarre environmental disasters. In July 2018, a Siberian factory town was drenched in a red blood rain when improperly stored industrial waste was caught up in a storm. Later that month, a mysterious wall of dust blacked out the sun for three hours in Yakutia, a region that contains some of the coldest cities in the world. According to The Guardian, several British groups have proposed boycotting Kuzbas coal until the region enacts stronger environmental protections. The simple fact is, however, that there's no great way to make coal use environmentally friendly. Even if black snow isn't falling in your part of the world, remember, carbon dioxide released by coal plants remains a leading cause of climate change. That climate change is also going to impact all of the methane that is in the permafrost in Siberia and release that at a more significant rate as that permafrost thaws. Here's a little piece that I like to, uh, I like to call street food. Oh no. Oh my gosh. It happens. We transport a lot of stuff by trucks all over the country. It's one of the major ways that we transport goods from one place to another. A lot of those goods are food. Some of those trucks do not make it safely to their destination, and that food ends up all over the street. This is from AJC.com, which has the tagline, Atlanta News Now which looks like it has Atlanta, then with a little period after it, news with a period after it, and now with a period after it, which is kind of a little odd. But this is from AJC.com. Tractor trailer hauling 40,000 pounds of broccoli overturns on Metro Atlanta Interstate. About 40,000 pounds of broccoli on the side of a Metro Atlanta freeway Monday morning may not ever make it to a dinner plate. That's good news for picky youngsters, but it caused trouble for drivers through Clayton County overnight. A tractor-trailer hauling the frozen vegetables overturned on the ramp from I-285 to I-75, shutting down the ramp, Channel 2 Action News reported. When the ramp reopened by 6.30 a.m., cleanup efforts were still underway at 11 a.m., according to to the WSB 24-hour traffic center, crews were working to extricate the boxes of broccoli before they removed the wrecked big rig. And unfortunately, there's not a lot more detail to that story, but I always love a good street food story. And here's an interesting one. Uh, be careful. When you, when you either accidentally or intentionally pick up a piece of your neighbor's mail, you have to treat it with care because you never know, you know, what could happen if it falls into the wrong hands. This is from metro.co.uk and this is written by Joe Roberts. Lee Edwards, age 36, and partner Jenna Crozier, 34. I guess that's Knowing people's ages, I guess, is kind of important. I don't know. I don't think that's important to this story. 
uh, took the package in for a neighbor and thought it was safe, tucked behind the door. But when they returned home, they found their black Labrador pup, Bonnie, playing with something very unexpected. A mortified Jenna put the offending item in a bag and it was collected by the red-faced neighbor later that day. Dog trainer Lee from Wigan, Greater Manchester, said, quote, I came downstairs and at first I thought it was a training toy. I train dogs for a living and we do have toys that are similar. Then I thought it might have been Jenna's and I was thinking, why has she bought that? It was just lying there on the floor and then I saw what happened to the box. I didn't want to touch it, and I didn't want the neighbor to think I touched it, so I cordoned it off like a crime scene. It's embarrassing, but you can see the funny side of it. The dad of two filmed his dog lying next to the toy, wagging her tail, and surrounded by pieces of ripped-up cardboard. Jenna said, quote, The postman delivered it here, and I'd hidden it behind the door and thought nothing of it. When I saw what it was, I thought it was so funny. Of all the parcels she could have got a hold of, it had to be the most secret thing you could have. Bonnie had it in her gob and was walking around with it. She played with it for about an hour. I like the extent to which this story doesn't tell you what it is, but it shows you pictures. There's pictures of the dog and the toy. It, not until here does it even mention what it is, and it still doesn't doesn't say in detail what it is. I think if you're in the UK, maybe you totally understand what Anne Summers is. But the next line says, It was a pink Anne Summers toy. It wasn't a huge one, just a standard size. She added, The neighbor ended up coming around, and I don't know her, but I'd say she's in her late 40s. I apologized and told her the dog had gotten a hold of it. She gave us a look. She knew what it was, and then she ran off to her car. I've not seen her since. I don't want to. I feel awful. Well, still, if you're in the U.S. and you had only that text to read, you still don't really know what it was, though you can make assumptions, and those assumptions will probably be correct. But this is a vibrator. It's vibrator slash dildo it looks it appears it doesn't show it vibrating it appears that it has vibrating function yes it appears from the photos average size as they say say in the story it what did they say exactly it was not it wasn't a huge one just a standard size so neighbor's package got delivered to the other neighbor they put it inside for safekeeping their dog tore that package to pieces and played with that dildo uh, until the owners got home and found out what it had done. So what do you do? Of course, you'd be very discreet. You take pictures of it and you post those pictures online and have a really good laugh. And next up is a story from Deadline.com. My favorite TV show of all time is Eureka. The two creators of the show Eureka, which was called A Town Called Eureka in the UK, uh, were Andy Cosby and Jamie Paglia, um, both of whom have gone on to do other things since sci-fi slash Comcast canceled Eureka prematurely. Here is one thing that Andy Cosby has been up to. Actually, this mentions a couple things Andy Cosby has been up to. This is written by Jeff Boucher, or Boucher. Uh, Legion M has recruited Hellboy screenwriter Andrew Cosby to take on the showrunner role Forevermore, a planned steampunk TV series aimed at family audiences and partly inspired by Dr. Evermore's Sculpture Park, an eccentric tourist attraction off Highway 12 in South Wisconsin. Cosby wrote the script for director Neil Marshall's upcoming Hellboy reboot from Lionsgate. Cosby also co-created the science fiction series Eureka, which aired for five seasons on Sci-Fi. In 2005, Cosby also co-founded Boom Studios, the Los Angeles comic book company behind Irredeemable, Two Guns, 
and Zombie Tales. In 2017, 20th Century Fox bought a $10 million minority stake in the publishing company. Evermore's Legion M's first bid to create an original television series, and the company itself will be credited as an executive producer on the project. Legion M is now pursuing investment and distribution partners for the proposed series. Legion M is the entertainment company that uses an equity crowdfunding model enabled by the Jumpstart Our Business Startups Jobs Act and invites genre fans to invest in the entertainment sector they already enjoy. In addition to in-house projects, the company invests in partner, pro partner productions, among them Mandy, the recent Nicolas Cage revenge film, and filmmaker Kevin Smith's upcoming feature, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. And the story tells, uh, it tells a little more about Legion M, uh, but then goes on to Evermore. Evermore was created by three Legion M members, Perry Covington, Eric Fiji, and Taya Kotler. The script was co-written by Covington and Fiji. The project is planned as a one-hour fantasy series. The story synopsis. Evermore follows orphan teenage twins Ellie and Sam, who are sent to live at the mysterious estate of their eccentric aunt, Dr. Catherine Evermore. A powerful secret reveals that their world is not what it seems, and neither are they. Ellie and Sam's discovery of a wondrous machine called the Forevertron allows them to journey through the multiverse and its alternate Earths, finding danger, love, family, the limitless potential of human adventure, and their ultimate destinies. Cosby said he was eager to join an inventive fantasy project aimed at family audiences. And I think that's very much what uh, Eureka was. Eureka was very family-friendly um, and was, had a lot of science fiction fantasy elements, uh, Eureka being a small secret town where geniuses went to live to work on special projects for the U.S. government and Department of Defense. And this next piece is from BBC.com. Estonians rescue wild wolf from ice, thinking it was a dog. Kind-hearted Estonian workers rushed to rescue a dog in distress from a freezing river on Wednesday. The men were working on the Sindi Dam on the Parnu River when they spotted the animal trapped in the icy water. After clearing a path through the ice, they took the frozen canine to a clinic for medical care. Only then was it revealed they had been carrying a wolf. The Eastern Union for the Protection of Animals, EUPA, said the wolf had low blood pressure when it arrived at the veterinarian's office, which may have explained its docile nature after the men carried it to their car to warm it up. Speaking to the Estonian paper Post, Post Times, Post Times, P-O-S-T-I-M-E-E-S, one of the men, Rando Kartsep, Kartsep said, quote, we had to carry him over the slope. He weighed a fair bit. He was calm, slept on my legs. When I wanted to stretch them, he raised his head for a moment, he added. Veterinarians had some suspicions over the large dog's true nature, but it was a local hunter familiar with the region's wolves who finally confirmed it for what it was, a young male wolf about a year old. Armed with this new information, the clinic staff decided to put the wolf in a cage after treatment in case it became less docile once it recovered. The EUPA said it paid for the animal's treatment and that, quote, luckily everything turned out well. The wolf recovered from its brush with death within a day, within the day, and after being fitted with a GPS collar by researchers from the National Environmental Agency, was released back into the wild. We are so happy for the outcome of the story and wish to thank all the participants, especially these men who rescued the wolf and the doctors of the clinic who were not afraid to treat and nurture the wild animal, Yupa said. Estonia is home to hundreds of wolves, only a handful of which have been collared in recent years. As a species, they usually, usually avoid humans. It was picked as Estonia's national anthem last year 
by a group of nature organizations. And this next piece is from abc.net.au. It's written by Sarah Skopelianos and Daniel Keene. An Adelaide pilot has taken workplace venting to new heights by etching I'm bored into the sky. I don't know if you can etch in the sky, but uh, maybe tracing is better, better term. The Diamond Star plane operated by Flight Training Adelaide spent a little over three hours in the air on Tuesday to draw the letters over South Australia. The message was not seen by people on the ground. This wasn't a skywriter. But it was visible to aviation followers watching live flight tracking programs and websites. It is believed the pilot who was working out of a Parafield Airport north of Adelaide was, quote, running in a new engine. The FlightAware website captured the pilot's work between 8.53 a.m. to 11.57 a.m. The pilot flew several loops, creating some somewhat explicit graffiti along the coast before tracing I'm bored over the Prince's Highway. Retired Qantas A380 pilot Chris Wilson said he thought the message was, quote, harmless. Seriously, did anybody think the message would be harmful? It's not very common for someone to do this. It's the first one I've seen, Mr. Wilson said. I think it's a harmless pursuit. He obviously is bored, because since he said, I'm bored, is what he traced in the sky. I'd say he was a young pilot trying to build up some hours. Mr. Wilson said the pilot would have been following the GPS path. Civil Aviation Safety Authority spokesman Peter Gibson said pilots drawing pictures was uncommon but not unheard of. Quote, All pilots plan a track for their aircraft to get between where they're going from and to. Now what that track looks like, once it shows up on radar, of course, is another thing entirely he said. And this story goes on and shows a couple of other paths that uh, creative pilots have traced. Um, the board artist is not the only pilot creating messages or artwork, according to the Flight Radar 24 website. Throughout the world, pilots are drawing planes, love hearts, leaving messages, and even signing their own work on return flights. According to overseas media reports, two U.S. Marines were grounded over a stunt where they created a, quote, sky penis over California in October 2017. And I talked about that story in a previous episode, which, what, which is one of the things that made this story interesting to me. A month later, an Airbus pilot during a test flight produced a clear image of a Christmas tree complete with baubles over Germany. The tree, according to the BBC, was rendered in several colors on Flight Radar 24 website to show the plane's varying altitudes. The phenomenon has drawn comparisons with runners and cyclists using tracking app Strava to overlay street maps with detailed drawings. So it is a fun and harmless pastime, uh, even when they're drawing a penis rather than just a picture of a plane or a tree, or writing, I'm bored. All right, cool. Monkey star Peter Tork has passed away at age 77. Monkey star Peter Tork, who played bass and keyboard on hits like Daydream Believer and co-starred in the band's popular 1960s comedy TV show, has died at 77. The bassist and singer played with the Monkees from their earliest days as a made-for-TV 60s pop band through their recent reunion performances. Tork died Thursday of causes that have not been publicly detailed. He was 77. Quote, I am told he slipped away peacefully, his Monkees bandmate Michael Nesmith said in a statement. Yet, as I write this, my tears are awash and my heart is broken. Even though I am clinging to the idea that we all continue, the pain that attends these passings has no cure.
and uh, Peter Tork uh, was known to have had cancer, um, which he had been battling for more than a decade, um, but it is not in this particular story. It is not explained if that is in the end what uh, led to his passing. Age 77, uh, from my perspective, that is quite a good long life. I don't anticipate that I will likely get there. And this piece is from ncbi.nim.nih.gov because it's a, a study of, it's a kind of scientific study. This is a six-year follow-up of a point source exposure to CWD contaminated venison in an upstate New York community, risk behaviors and health outcomes 2005 to 2011 and has several authors. Um, this is a, a brief study or a brief abstract of a study that followed some individuals who ate uh, deer, ate venison um, that had chronic wasting disease, uh, sometimes called zombie disease. Um, and here is the abstract of the study. Objectives, it is currently unknown whether chronic wasting disease, CWD, a transmissible spongiform acephalopathy, acephalopathy of cervids is transmissible to humans. Reported on here are the behavioral risk factors and health conditions associated with a six-year follow-up of a known point source exposure to a CWD-infected deer in an upstate New York community. The Oneida County Chronic Wasting Disease Surveillance Project was launched in 2005 in response to a point source exposure to a CWD-infected deer at a March 2005 Sportsman's Feast in upstate New York. 81 exposed individuals participated in the 2005 baseline data collection and were sent follow-up questionnaires following each deer hunting season between 2005 in 2011. Results over a six-year period, participants reported a reduction in overall venison consumption. Hmm, you think? Participants reported no significant changes in health conditions, although several conditions, vision loss, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, weight changes, hypertension, and arthritis were significantly associated with age. Conclusions to this day, this incident remains the only known large-scale point source exposure to a CWD-infected deer. Prion diseases can incubate for multiple decades before the manifestation of clinical symptoms. Thus, continued surveillance of this exposed study population represents a unique opportunity to assess the risk of CWD transmission to humans. This project is uniquely situated to provide the first epidemiological evidence of CWD transmission to humans, should it occur. Oh no, it's a sign of the end times. And finally for this episode is a, another story from metro.co.uk. This is written by Richard Hartley Parkinson. A man wearing his birthday suits that's not a suit that he got for his birthday, had to be rescued from a roof after a fire broke out in a suspected brothel. Firefighters got something of an eyeful when they went to help the man who was clinging to his final scraps of dignity after climbing through the window to escape the blaze in Northenden, Greater Manchester. He had been in adult, quote, health club, ladybirds, above simply delicious takeaway. Ladybirds is described as a, quote, bijou parlor with a welcoming and discreet atmosphere. Its website states, quote, we are the height of class and sophistication. Our elite five-star ladies have been handpicked to provide quality over quantity, consistently providing a seductive and sensual massage whilst delivering pure indulgence every time. 
Naturally, his appearance caused something of a stir locally with people taking pictures and videos. One such, such person was Mike in MCR who said, quote, So there was a fire at the knocking shop down the road in Northenden yesterday. A fire service spokesman said, We were called out at 3.09 p.m. on Tuesday and sent a fire engine from Withington. We helped a man down from a shop signage using a 9-meter ladder. A police spokesman said, Police were called shortly after 3 p.m. on Tuesday, February 19, to re report of a concern for the welfare of a man on Palantine Road, Northenden. He was taken to the hospital, and firefighters confirmed Ladybirds has already reopened for business. And that will wrap up this episode of Unrelated Things. Remember, if you want to send me a message, you can send an email to unrelatedthings at gmail.com. You can go to the website unrelatedthings.net and you can check out back episodes and you can check out the other podcasts I do there as well. And you can also watch me or listen to me record this live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash unrelated things. If you want to make a donation to keep this going, go to unrelatedthings.net and look over at the right hand side bar for ways to donate. Thanks for listening. It's unrelated things.